0: Excellent
2: header, 1-0. What a fantastic header by Sam Kerr to put Australia in front. Lika Martins will pick up this loose ball. A little bit of a nudge in the back. Lika Martins! Four for Barcelona! Welcome to Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. On today's show, Birmingham City continue to struggle near the bottom of the WSL. Can interim boss Darren Carter stop the rot that's been there far too long? Man United, meanwhile, seem determined to shoot themselves in the foot wherever possible. We ask, what do they need to do to consistently challenge the big guns? And why is this year's Ballon d'Or ceremony scheduled slap bang in the middle of international week?
0: Potatoes goes for power though. Oh, and precision
2: too. Sweet as you like. From one of the world's best. Rachel, great to have you with us. Thank you. Um, Late one last night, you literally have stepped off the train from Manchester. Where were you last night? I was. That at, wasn't like a concerned <laughs> parent. Where were you last night? Were you last night you didn't that come so, home. That sounded like
1: that. I said, "Where were you last night?" We'd love to know. Uh, I was at the Northwest Football Awards in Manchester. Yeah, so good fun. Good Give night. us some goss, then. Come on, Chloe, we're what gagging happens? tonight. Come on. I signed a like an NDA when I. My... No, you didn't. Yeah, come on, can't, shut. Can't tell you. Uh, no, you didn't. What, what went down? One. Can't remember who got, anything. Who
2: got the most drunk from Manchester City's squad?
1: There weren't actually that many. Manchester City there. Chloe Callaghan. God, it's therapy. not the Ballon d'Or then only doing scheduling issues then. <laughs> Yeah. There was there was a lot of unfortunately they can't be with us tonight um, um moments. But uh they sent lovely little videos. So you know, okay. felt like All they were right. in the room. Mm.
2: And who was the sort of best appearance of the night then? Who was the
1: best award winner? Uh oof. Sam Matterface, gotta gotta throw that out. He had a very nice, you know, tuck situation going wow. on. It was black ties. So lovely. Give it him.
2: Matt Face really pulled out all the stops for the Northwest Football Awards. All right, um, Chloe, how was your weekend? Oh, I mean, eventful. If we have to talk about it, we have to talk about <laughs> it.
3: Uh, just another casual win um, this side. Yeah, unstoppable, man. I mean, we're on an absolute journey at the moment. Um, yeah, six games unbeaten. Um, yeah, we're having a massively amazing run, sort of first half of the season, and I think we're sort of. Shocking ourselves, but also not, because I think obviously the hard work and stuff that goes on behind the scenes, like we are putting in an absolute shift. So it feels nice now that that the hard work that's going on is actually starting to pay off. And, you know, we could be
2: hitting our our best results in the table um, already uh, this early. So... Yeah, fingers crossed it, it continues. Love that for you, and I feel like we're taking listeners on a journey through your season as well. So if Spurs, if Spurs, oh. slip, oh, slip. if Palace, oh, if Palace uh, end up winning promotion, it's it's great to be a part of that journey. So you know we're all we're all here. Can we take we're credit for it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, it's, it's it. the
3: inspiration that I've gathered from these um, <laughs> these, these, <sessions>. these podcast <laughs> sessions that has actually inspired the rest of the team to go forwards and, and put on the results they have. So thank wow. you. On behalf of the Crystal Palace team, thank you.
2: Um, Less inspirational, shall (laughs) we say, is Birmingham City's continued struggles because last week, a few days after we recorded the pod, a day after they lost to West Ham in the Conti Cup, Birmingham sacked their manager Scott Booth, kind of out of nowhere. Um, The players didn't even know; they a lot of them found out on Twitter or found out from. Emma Saunders at the BBC and Tom Garry at the Telegraph, who sort of broke the the story at the same time. And then they lost 5-0 to Chelsea on Sunday. Sam Kerr getting a hat-trick in the first half at King's Meadow, doing a backflip. Um, we'll probably maybe touch on that in, in a little bit. But yeah, it's
1: not looking great, is it? No, and their statement was so kind of weak because they were like, you know, not meeting our expectations. I, I would love to know what those expectations are if you're not fully funding and supporting your women's team, what do you expect? Like, everyone else seemed to think the objective was to stay up this season, which at the moment they're doing. They're one point above Leicester. So, you know, that seems to be like they're achieving at the moment what they need. Um, But they also said, like, after the results and with big games coming up, which seems like an insane time to sack your manager. You've got Chelsea, they've got Man City, and then they've got Leicester, which is going to be a huge game to potentially pick up points. And you decide that that seems like the appropriate time to sack your manager. As as Carla Ward said, you don't become a bad manager overnight. And Scott Booth came in with a very, very good CV. And I think it's a bit unfair to kind of hang all this on on him.
2: Love Carla Ward so much. Um, That's for another pod. Um, Chloe, what were your thoughts on it? Pretty, pretty shocking, right?
3: Yeah, pretty similar to Rachel. I just feel like, you know, he's come in. He's got a big, big job ahead of him. Um, You know, Birmingham City you know, bottom of the table pretty much last year, just managed to avoid relegation and, you know, they did well to do that. Um, and I think they were very lucky, obviously, that Bristol were having an even worse season than they were. And, you know, like like Rachel was saying, you know, Scott Booth's come in with a fantastic CV. He's got, you know, titles all over the place. He's come in with a a, a mountain to climb. You know, he doesn't have the investment there. He's coming off the back of a season where um, you know, the the club has gone through, you know, financial difficulties, difficulties behind the scenes with resources, and players washing their own kit. Um, the board not seeming to be very supportive of the of the women's section going forwards. Um, you know, there's just all these things going on. And I think you know, given that the 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 Birmingham have got the one of the lowest budgets, or if not the lowest budget in the WSL. I mean, where are you supposed to take the team from that? Because you're not going to be able to. You don't have the the financial resources then to get in international players to to buy in superstar players that you need to kind of really compete in the league at the moment. So I you know I feel really sorry for him. I think it's, it's too early, and I think you know it's.
2: It's cruel. It's really cruel. And I think we're also getting to a point now where it wouldn't probably be unrealistic to assume that if Birmingham City do go down, there is quite a big chance that they could cease to exist by this time next year if they were to be relegated because they are living on the edge. Obviously, the players are probably kind of sick of this, the ones that have stuck around through this. um you know there's only so much you can do there's only so many times you can be promised that things are going to change those things you mentioned Chloe and i think there are there were issues as well for Scott Booth in that respect um you know the the, the stories from both Emma and Tom detail you know promises of certain fees being paid in order to bring in international players that weren't paid and then the club in their statement say that's completely untrue um you know they delivered on some of the promises that they made in in the transfer window but I certainly, I think that I believe one side of the story a little
1: bit more than the other. Um, But where do they go from here? Oh God, that's a good question. I think it'd be really sad if Birmingham ceased to exist. I think it's really sad if any team ceased to exist, but Birmingham have been there a long time. You know, they've been... The history up, is amazing. Yeah, they've yeah. been up the top of the WSL. You know, they've been in finals. Um, It'd just be so disappointing if they were just it kind of crumbled, and the other thing you touch on transfer window, like that's another thing they're not going to be focusing on now. The January well, transfer it's, it's, it's
2: as if as if there's any budget in January. I mean, I think that in this in the statement as well, there is you know saying that their ambitions, um, they they want you know a manager that is going to be able to to take them take them forward. But what are their ambitions? Because well, certainly their behaviour isn't matching up to no. the ambitions
1: they, they claim to have and know? that's what I'd love to know what are your ambitions because you've brought in practically a brand new team brand new manager a lot of new young players who are playing professional football for the first time and you've given on them on the cheap yeah, well yeah <laughs> but you've given them less than three months to, to figure it out and if your ambitions are anything more than staying up then you're deluding yourself. So I think it's really unfair to say you're not reaching our ambitions, but also we're not going to give you the support and funding that you need in order to reach those ambitions. What we'll do is we'll just sack another manager and say that that's the issue. And I think when you see like they're waving things like St. Andrew's in your face kind of saying, we're playing our games here. Like it's great that they're they're giving them that platform. But at the same time, if that's an area where you could save some money and invest it into your women's team and play at a smaller ground, I think that should be more important. So maybe the priorities are a bit skewed there.
2: Mm. Where, where do you see their future lie? I mean, do you think they have a chance of staying up? Do you think anyone's going to want to play for that team?
3: I think it's um it's a case of looking at it from a sort of short-term and a long-term perspective. Obviously, in the short term for the next couple of months and over Christmas, their biggest focus now is going to be trying to bring in someone. I mean, I don't know where they're going to find a, a decent manager at this point in the season, halfway through, everyone's sort of focusing on... Uh, you know the Christmas break and you know getting people through that. So, I you know I really struggle. I think it's just one of those situations. I, you know, I'd, even if Emma Hayes stepped in to the Birmingham City uh, manager role, I think she would still have you know it was one of the best women or female managers in in the game. I think she'd struggle to to do anything um, other than keep keep Birmingham up. So, and I think you know I I do have concerns about Birmingham in the long run because you know it's not too long ago that we were sort of having a look at Yeovil and, and their situation and. You know, when you don't have the backing of a big Premier League club, I think you know the men's team are sitting fifteenth or sixteenth in the in the in the championship at the moment. So, you know, funding is not a priority. The women's funding is not a priority for for the men's team, and I think we can see that with the kind of things that went on last season. Because you know, when the players are, are stepping up and step and putting their head above the parapet and saying, you know, there's so many issues going on here behind the scenes, and your board turn around and say, mm, yeah, it's not that bad. Don't really worry about it. You know, we're doing what we can. Um, yeah, that that doesn't strike me as a team that really cares that much about their their women's setup going forwards.
2: And also, if you were a manager and you were looking for a job, I mean, Glasgow City must be fuming that that you know he left and it is already is already available after after everything he achieved there and going into what might have been probably considered a really good opportunity and it hasn't panned out like that. But if you were a manager right now, you'd look at that situation at Birmingham and think I don't want to touch that with the barge pole because the players have. Very little confidence or motivation. Who knows what they're having to experience? We only sort of get, you know, snippets of that. Um, but it certainly seems like things aren't good. I mean, what they have done is they've appointed Darren Carter, former player, uh, a bit of a club legend, in the interim boss role, and then Marcus Bignot who spent a lot of time there as manager and also sort of in a consultancy role, he's returned in a sort of supporting role. There's not really specifics about that. But he was obviously at Aston Villa last season. Very defensive style. Um I don't think his brief spell at Aston Villa was the most brilliant and inspiring um, tenure of a WSL manager. And it was sort of a give the ball to Manu Ibuchi sort of thing. So in terms of short term in this season... Leicester City need to win a game, beat beat Birmingham City yeah. and Leicester City could good well stay up. Yeah,
1: but what I find frustrating is Birmingham's goal is now going to be to stay up, which is so frustrating because that was Doing what the, the goal... Doing the bare minimum. Yeah, but that was what the goal should have been mm. anyway. Yeah, so exactly. Scott Booth could have stayed in and tried to achieve that goal. If they achieve that goal now, I mean, I don't want to say this because I really like a lot of the players on the team, but I do think it'll be a miracle if they do achieve that goal. And oh, it's a 100%. bit percent like, It's a bit like Everton, you know, Willie Kirk was given no time. They wanted results. They bring in a new manager who's told he can have time. And, you know, Scott Booth is being told just staying up isn't enough. They're going to have a whole new load of people in and what they're going to want to do is stay up. And you're like, it's so frustrating for the person who's gone because the person that comes in will basically do what their ultimate goal should have been, which is...
2: And I think that's what's so... I think, disappointing sometimes about who does take these roles um, and why I think it's so great when you've got managers like Emma Hayes, when you've got managers like Carla Ward, you've got managers like Casey Stoney, who will be banging on the boardroom door and saying, we're not going to accept these things. I mean, some of the things that are reported to have been happening over the past sort of few seasons and why the players signed a letter last season and sort of said enough is enough and seemingly things haven't changed is... Being, they said they'd been treated sort of like second-class citizens within the club. Obviously, recently moved to St. Andrews, but they were playing at a ground where matches were called off really regularly. They weren't getting access to the gym facilities. They weren't getting access to the, the right um, resources within the club, whether that's sort of like canteen, gym, other areas of the training ground. They weren't being prioritised and they weren't being treated like professional athletes. Um, and, you know, I can't imagine what it's, like to also be in that scenario it must make you feel like crap but also if you were a manager you would know well if I come in like how do I know that's going to change and as much as I want to bang on on the door and and try and change it which is what Carla Ward did and I'm sure you know Scott Booth was probably trying to do similar it doesn't seem like it's going to so who 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 is going to want to do that and are Darren Carter and Marcus Big not going to be the people to do that no they're club legends. And club legends tend to
1: toe the line. I think, yeah, they probably will toe the line. I It'll be inter- interesting to see how long they're there for because I also find it bizarre that you sack a manager without someone else in mind. Yeah, <laughs> it just seems totally. like I, it just blows my mind a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how long they're there. They're going to have a big job of not just getting the results but picking the players back up again because the one thing that they had with Carla Ward and Scott Booth, I feel, was rapport. Like mm-hmm. they were in it together. There's really good people at Birmingham. Um, they really work their asses off behind the scenes in training. They will do everything for the badge. Um, and that's something that they need to try and maintain if they're going to stay up this season. And now that you've got new faces in, are they going to be able to do that as well as get the results on the pitch?
3: Yeah, I agree. And I think just off the back of what you were saying, I think you know there, there's one element in, in sorting out the management side of things. But as a player, I mean, I'd mean, i be looking at Birmingham City and saying, I'm not going to touch that with the barge pole if that was an option for me. Between Birmingham City and, and Leicester, I'd be thinking, do you know what? Leicester might have a you know might be going down this season but at least they have good backing good financial backing they're bringing in players they've got ambitions so whilst they might drop down to the championship chances are at some point they'll probably be heading back up and they're paying their <laughs> the wages on time they've got good facilities they've got great backing from the men's team so you know, I I think that that's going to be the issue for Birmingham City going forward is that players probably won't want to be associated with a club that treats its its players so poorly that they feel they have to take, take it public. Because you know, I've been in situations like that where you've got things going on behind the scenes in terms of resources, insurance, kit, uh, facilities, health and safety, um, and and when those things aren't right, the players talk to each other. You know, those players are going to be talking to other players, and you know, we're all it's it's a small world, women's football, um, and you know. When they're having those those conversations, a lot of the players are, you know, they're going to be quite open and honest about what's going on, and
2: and I would be steering clear if that was me. Manchester United um, busy week at uh, United HQ, um, but I think it's been an interesting season, really, in in general for Manchester United. I wrote a piece on the weekend following that game to against Arsenal; they lost two 0 because it kind of felt like I'd actually gone into that weekend thinking, do you know what I'm, I'm hoping to write about is a good United performance, potentially nicking a point off the back of Arsenal being frustrated against Spurs. And it would be a sort of, can United finally now you know, play with the big boys and really consider a decent chance of getting that last Champions League spot? But actually, I came away from that game thinking, God, they feel like they're really far behind. And the reason they're so far behind is making a lot of mistakes. A lot of really simple mistakes. And we saw that in the game on Sunday as well. Mary Earps, goalkeepers union, we've got to touch on this. Mistake in the in the Spurs game, uh, to concede that really late Rhea Percival free kick. Mistake in the Everton game. Um, between her Mar- Maria Torres daughter, but I think it was more Earps than anything. Torres daughter's making it quite obvious that yeah. she's leaving the ball. And then on on Sunday against Arsenal, she sort of takes like I don't know, four steps to her left and leaves most of the goal open for Vivian Miedema. And I mean, Miedema, you know, could smash that in anyway, so she doesn't need any opportunity. Sun was in her eyes, Torres Sotter again, perhaps getting in her way. But that's three pretty, pretty big mistakes and then giving away a super, super soft penalty. So just seeing these, these habits in United's performances about some poor game management... Um, and it really sort of made me feel like, are they actually quite far away from being able to challenge these big guns?
1: I wouldn't say they're far away. I think I think to be fair to them, they are in a bit of a transition. Um, I know it felt like with Casey Stoney, they were kind of on an upward trajectory. Um, but I feel with a new manager coming in, some new players, you need to give them a little bit of leeway to kind of find their feet, to bring in a new style of play. I think for Mark Skinner, looking at that, I think he would rather have those little mistakes Rather than glaring massive issues because I think they're the kind of things they can actually sit back and look at and rewatch and say, "We just need to tidy up here, we just need to tidy up there, and maybe with more time together, those kind of mistakes will be you know wiped out of the game yeah i like, I'm,
2: I'm always wondering what's the, what's the par i mean in in a squad, Chloe, what do you think's the par to be able to judge a manager and say this is where you expect mistakes to to stop because obviously I think Mark Skinner is understandably of the approach that I'm a new manager, working with new players, a lot of ins and outs over the summer, a whole back four that are playing together for the first time. So that's understandable. But when is the par when we say, right, we've got once, because we're eight games in now, are we saying what, by January when the league restarts after a Christmas break? That's when you would expect these. I mean, I never know. What is the fair judgment? I think I think you're completely right. I think
3: it's about January February time because I think you know you've you've come in. You've got a, a whole host of new players. You've got a, a new manager who's come in. And Casey Stoney was such a legend at Manchester United, and she'd done fantastic things, taking them from the championship all the way up into you know, the top tiers of the of the WSL. So you know I think everyone was expecting. Okay, well they're only going to go in one direction, but. You know, they're they're consistent. You know, they've not been in a situation where they look like they're going to be relegated at any point. They've never really dropped, you know, further than the mid-table whilst being in the WSL. And that is is a massive achievement. So I think there's always going to be a bit of transition over the summer. we have just come off the back of the pandemic, new players, new manager. And I think, you know, that takes time to bed in new strategies. So I'd be saying around January, February time, if those kind of mistakes are still being made, then that looks like more of a cause for concern. But I think, you know, when there has been individual errors, and and especially at the back and especially as a goalkeeper, you know, you can lose form. You can, and I think that's the most difficult thing about the position is that, you know, and you've seen the same thing with happening with Taiba at City. You know, you you have one bad game, you have two bad games, and then it gets into your head because it's such a psychological position. And I feel like
2: Earps is like that a little bit because I think she is quite, and this is fine, I think goalkeepers tend to be that, quite an emotional person. mm -hmm. And I think sometimes she lets that get the best of her. After she made that Everton mistake, she looked. She looked like she was going to physically throw up. And I thought, if you were it, of all the positions on the pitch to feel it so much, mm-hmm. being a goalkeeper is the worst. It's the absolute fear because it's
3: so obvious when you've made an error, and your errors are normally fatal. So when they happen the whole squad's looking at you you know especially where you've got a game that you're expected to to win or you know and you're the whole the sole reason why those points have been dropped that's a really hard thing to carry on your shoulders and especially taking that into the next game and knowing that you can't make a silly mistake like that again so when a silly mistake does then happen it compounds how you've been feeling previously, and it's really hard to get yourself out of that headspace. And I think especially with Mary Earps, where she's obviously been brought in now to the England team, she wants to be showing everyone that she's the best keeper in, in the UK. So, you know, I think it's um it, it there's a lot of pressure on her shoulders. So I do I do really feel for her. And I think if you look at how consistent she's been for the previous games, prior to the the mistakes that she's made in the pre- previous seasons and how much of a hero she was for Man United for,
1: you know, a few years, I think, you know, I,
3: lay off her All right. I was going to defend her I was going to say
1: she may may make those mistakes which isn't ideal because it leads to a goal but she's also making like top class saves in nearly every game as well which is almost frustrating then because you're like wow you've just done that but then you've just done that so I will say she is it is there like she is top class she is making some great saves but if I think Man United are just a bit loose at the moment and I think that's what they need they need a little bit of tightening up they've got a few young heads in the squad you touched on their game management you know a lot of my
2: friend described them as flappy and I think flappy and loose is a good way yeah. to describe them yeah. it,
1: they have the talent there it's just kind of tightening it up game management you know seeing out games getting more goals I think is really important I think yeah. if it's too early for managers like Scott Booth and Willie Kirk to be sacked it's oh uh, yeah, I would no, never, not suggest. I'll, I'll set
2: my calendar reminder for mid-Jan where I say to Chloe, hashtag Skinner out. No, I'm no absolutely no. savage. That's saying, when
1: we'll be able to make our minds up. But yeah, there'll be no it's, one left. It's, it's, yeah. if, if it's not fair to kind of sack them, it's. I don't think it's fair to judge a new manager at this stage either. Yeah, totally. And I, I think there is a lot of talent there,
2: yeah. and that's why you really want to see that him get the best of it yeah um, Anya Batier having a, another fantastic season that first game against Reading I saw that back four and I thought that is a back four Hannah Blundell being a brilliant addition Eva Mannion in the form of her love you know, Aoife Mannion in a v- best form she's had for a very long time yeah. She was spent a lot of time out of the game she's played in every single game you know I think she's played every single minute of every game yeah. Maria Torres daughter decent fairly experienced centre back you know big presence good t- good spell at Chelsea um, that's a brilliant back four. So I want that solidity with Erps at that foundation. You look at that and you think, wow, that's a brilliant foundation to work for, work from. And then you see that game against Chelsea and the horrendous mistakes they made in that. And then you, you it's just, it seems strange to me, but it'll be interesting to see where they they go from here. Um, someone want to touch on though Ella Toon. Amazing news last week uh, and over the weekend that she has signed a contract extension till twenty twenty five, which is. Big for women's football. We normally we normally see these like two, maybe a three year deal max.
1: This is big. This is really big. It's great to see because not only is she committing to the club, but the club is committing to her. And that's what I used to find really frustrating with um contracts in women's football. You'd often get like one year contracts, two year contracts. How do you expect like a player to come over, potentially move their family over, potentially find somewhere to live if you're giving them a one or two year contract? Mm. So it's so important, I think, to see a club. Commit. You saw it with Chelsea, with Sam Kerr, to commit to a player and say, we believe in you. Like, you're going to be part of our future. Uh, And I think that we need to see more of that in the women's game, especially as it's professional.
2: My question to you, Chloe, is Is this a mistake for Toon, given how she is one of the most exciting, talked about young players in the league? She could probably get some big offers from England and elsewhere. Is it a mistake to tie yourself down to one place? And also, Do we think she's getting paid, more importantly? And I mean like paid in capital letters because you would like to think if this is where she is now, by 2025, she could be one of the best players in the league, hands down. So you would like to think that she's made sure, her agent's made sure she's getting the good money. That's the
3: first port of call, isn't it? Making sure that you have a decent agent looking after your best interests. And I think... You know, another three years with a club, it is. It is. You know, it's. It's very. It never really happens, and I think we're starting to see it come through a lot more now. But you know, for a player, you definitely want that security. You want a club to know that they're invested in you, they believe in you, they want to grow you and develop you even more. So that would be a massive confidence boost for Ella too. Not that she need, really needs it; she's been absolutely firing all on cylinders for for a very long time now. But I think, in terms of you know, when you look at what does she want from her future? Obviously, she sees the fact that Man United have ambitions and they want to push up to the WSL. So maybe a big part of her is, you know, what we're not doing, you know, fantastic things this season. But actually, I see the club progressing in in the way that
2: I and you know, she's obviously
3: enjoying herself. She's going out there. And yeah, playing, I mean, games she's a
2: big she's a big United fan. Mm-hmm. Like her, all her family are from that area. So I see that side of that that nostalgic sort of like if you're a Man U fan, you're from the area. All your family, United fans, you're going to want to play for the team, right? Like, I, I get that appeal.
3: Yeah, as a young player especially, there are so many demands on young players. And because of how she's been playing, she's getting even more attention now. So I think it's so important to have a good support network around you. The friends, the family, you know, being a being a massive fan of the club obviously helps. And, you know, that's going to be a massive support for her as she goes through the game and gets better. And, you know, even with the sort of England games that she's going to be playing, so she'll need that um, you know family love a thing to, to be around her but yeah I think um, I think they probably would have had to put their hands in their pockets for, for Ella Toon because they would have been very aware and her agent would have been aware and she would have been aware herself that you know Chelsea, Man City They'll be sniffing um, around and be-
2: also it means that you know we know that transfer fees are not like they are in the men's game but it also means United can hold on to her and then get a fee for her when one of those clubs does come in
1: Yeah but I I think they might build the team around her and I think if they could afford to bring in Press and Heath last season albeit for a short season they can afford to pay her a decent wage and I think that's probably what they've said to her is that we'll build the team around you um, which was probably very attractive for her
2: The year is 2025 <laughs> We are podding in individual pods uh, on hover hoverboards um, Is Ella Toon still at Manchester United in 2025?
1: Yeah I reckon so and they're probably pushing top table and she's banging in they're Winning the Champions goals. League Well you know that's probably what, that's what their ambition is and she said that their ambition matched her ambition So, look, we've seen, I'm sure, clubs tell players what they want to hear. Um, And in some instances like Birmingham, they don't actually follow through. But I do think Manchester United do want to be pushing in Champions League, pushing at the top of the table. And if it's your childhood club and they're committing that to to you, I think it probably sounds pretty interesting for, for Ella.
3: I agree. I think, um, you know, if the commitment's there from both sides and she's happy and she's getting game time and there's nothing seriously going wrong, you know, I see her being one of those Man United legends of the game there after 10 years and making the Hall of Fame.
2: We'll be hoverboarding our way to Old Trafford to watch <laughs> her play.
0: Egerberg <laughs> qui va lever son ballon! Oui, ça va Et
2: celui-ci est d'une très, très haute importance. Le nouveau
3: doublé pour Ada Egerberg...
2: I feel like every week we have like a complaint corner um, and topic three is kind of becoming complaints corner. Um, But our complaint corner of the week is the Ballon d'Or ceremony, which has been scheduled for the 29th of November uh, during the women's international break, where unsurprisingly, lots of players are not at home at their clubs and are travelling around Europe, around the world, playing international football. Uh, So it looks like pretty much most of the nominations, from from the WSL, we've got Fran Kirby, a professional penalty taker, Jesse Fleming, Viv Miedemar, Ellen White, Pernilla Harder, Sam Kerr, Magda Eriksson, all from the WSL on the list. But we've also got Alexia Bateas, who looks like the biggest favourite for it, Um, uh, as well as a few
1: others on there. It's a pretty long list, actually. Um, But it looks like no one's going to be there. I mean, the one bonus is that it means the winner is like less likely to be asked to twerk on stage. Um, but it's another example of when we get given something because we're like, where the hell is the women's Ballon d'Or? And they finally give it to you and it's a bit of a, okay, pipe down, you've you've got what you asked for. And it's still not equal, is it, when you're not thinking about the women's game. Um, it's not a surprise, but it's so frustrating. And it's something that should be brought up consistently until these kind of things are actually thought about. Um, It's like we don't have many platforms, opportunities in the women's game to showcase our best players to the world and to have this kind of opportunity come up and likelihood of none of the players actually visibly being there. It's just such a, you know, shoot yourself in the foot kind of thing. Do you
2: you think it also just speaks volumes of the fact that I feel like every single time the women's Ballon d'Or comes up, it's like everyone's always sort of like you don't understand the women's game. You know, remember when Megan Rapinoe won it and she sort of stood up and said, this is essentially I shouldn't be winning this because it just proves that people don't watch women's football because there's not enough exposure as well of all of the leagues around the world, all the players around the world, that you're putting me, who played like 10 minutes for my domestic club, as the best player in the world when that's just essentially not true. Um, So it feels like every single year there's a reason to be like, I roll, Ballon d'Or have messed it up again. Do you feel like that, Chloe? Yeah, I think it's just come from controversy after controversy. This award—it kind of feels like, oh, should we,
3: should we just back out of it? Actually, thanks, but you know what? We're better than this. <laughs> we'll do our, our own things. thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think obviously, off the back of the controversy with um, you know, the twerking incident, and obviously, you know, the history of the of the the award is that we haven't been a part of it for sixty years. So it was only very recently they thought, oh, hang on a second, women, and like, women. I knew we were missing something. Yes. Um, so it does just feel like a bit of a a joke every year and there's always something to complain about and rightly so because it's just it's just getting a bit a bit ridiculous now. Um, you know, and Rian Skinner has been all over Twitter sort of saying how disappointing it is, you know, the lack of access. And and rightly so, it's not going to make for very good viewing when, you know, every single award that's going to be handed out is, oh, we're just going to cut now to a
2: pre-recorded video of the person who couldn't be here. It's um yeah, it's just like North like Northwest Football Awards, eh? That, can't get that, can't yeah. get the staff these <laughs> days. <Yeah. laughs> uh more awards news as well this week. The FIFA Best Award. I mean, there's just it's just such a bad name for an award. FIFA Best. Cool. Mm. Um But nominees for that, Lucy Bronze, Ellen White, Sam Kerr, Viv Midamar, Magdalena Eriksson, Penilla Harder, Jisoo Young. I think feel like Alexia Peters is just gonna clean up though, isn't she, in these
1: I think it'll be a travesty if she doesn't. I think yeah. we riot at dawn if she doesn't win these awards. Um, but that will kind of show you, do they know what they're talking about?
2: Yeah, I mean if, Lucy Bronze as well. I certainly wouldn't put her. She won the award last year, but I certainly wouldn't put her, wouldn't have put her on that list. But I think so much of women's football right now is kind of about how big your brand. Who is. do you know? Who mm-hmm. do you know? Yeah, and whoever has the biggest brand wins out. And I know people factor that into their votes as well, and that's you know a lot of the reason why Rapino won is she was really important for the brand of women's football for all the amazing things she does um and this is kind of why they end up winning these awards so I think it'd be brilliant if we maybe start to see that change it's like oh actually you know who is the best footballer in the world
1: exactly because you wouldn't see uh, a male footballer getting picked because he used his platform really well to speak out about all the problems in the game like we're still there that you know they have and it's great that they do that don't get me wrong but that you know, we should be looking at the quality on the pitch and saying Alexis Vitalis is the best player in the world.
2: And also within sport, there's other awards. You know, Marcus Rashford won a ton of awards and, and got lots of recognition, yeah. recognition for what he did. Raheem Sterling, when he he came out and, and said, you know, I don't like the way that I'm treated in the media. I think there's important things that happen and players are recognised because of that. And I think you can have it both ways. You know, you can recognise players in your own way for other awards and say, what you do off the pitch is brilliant and what you do off the on the pitch is brilliant too. And they don't need to kind of, you know, they can coexist <laughs> in, in many ways. Um, so we'll obviously wait and see who wins those awards, but it'll probably be
1: Alexia Pateus. I would have put it out there. I think it might be Sam Kerr. Is that really? a controversial opinion? It's not controversial. It's not controversial. I, controversial. Just, I, I just don't think, I mean, Sam Kerr has been great, but I don't think, I mean, look, we look at it like, you know, Sam Kerr was in the Olympics. So it's, it's all this stuff of like, when you look at the international performance as well as their domestic performance. But then you, when you look at someone like uh, Patelos and she's just won everything domestically, Champions League, I know with Spain it's not necessarily the same kind of thing. But if we're giving it to Megan Rapinoe and she only really played for her national team, then they're not really looking mm-hmm. at across the whole thing. I still think she's the best player in the world. But yeah, right, let's take bets. Oh, is it about who we think will win or who should win? Cause-
2: <laughs> I think both. I so I think Alexia Potez should win and she will win both. But I think you're right about sticking Sam Kerr's name in there because yeah. she could arguably also, you yeah. know.
1: I think there's been part. enough talk, I would like to think. Maybe it's because of the circles I'm moving about Potez that she should that they'll kind of get the hint and and she'll win it, but um who i mean who knows with these things honestly
3: it's so true but i think i was just looking at cuz obviously i was trying to have a think okay chloe realistically how is this going to play out and i you know i was looking back over the season that that sam Kerr's had not just you know at a domestic level but but internationally and you know claiming the first WSL golden boot uh, being a massive part of the chelsea uh, title win league cup community shield uh, captaining at the the tokyo olympics and australia finishing the highest they ever have and i think that's a stellar, that's a stellar it a good, year. It is a
2: good, it is a good summer.
3: I mean, how are you beating that CV? Come well, on. No, Hasn't no, Viv
1: Miedema done something similar before? You know, gotten Golden Boots, insane records. And yeah, Miedema's always struggled get to
2: get those, those big global recognition it's, things. I mean, also, how much do they matter? That's for another podcast. Well, um, what is everyone up to this weekend? I know, Rachel, you and I separately together slash together where is this going and are going up to up north what? to no watch England him. play <laughs> in Sunderland that? I felt like we were going on like a romantic getaway it was going that um, direction Rachel and I are going to watch England play Austria together am I a third wheel um maybe that's why we. maybe <laughs> <on talking. laughs> um separately though I'm getting the train up on Friday night yeah we won't speak Chloe what are you going to be up to Relaxing, chillaxing, literally nothing. We've just been away
3: in Blackburn this weekend. It's obviously a big one where you go up on, you know, uh, Saturday morning, come back on Sunday night. You don't get back till 11, it's work the next morning. So this weekend, I am absolutely doing. Nothing. Love that for you. Yeah. Can you, can you tell
1: us, what's that like? When it, when you do it, can you just like drop us a message and just... I'll put it on the WhatsApp group. Oh. Just a picture of me in the not in the bath.
3: <laughs> I
2: won't do that.
1: Well, God, this went wow. weird at the end. Gosh, we're getting too close This now is why I'm we like. didn't invite you.
3: Yeah. yeah. yeah wow. I, I made it weird. I'm that person. You made it weird. Wow. Yeah. Sorry about uh,
2: that. Well, that's it for today's episode. I think we should stop things there because it's uh, getting into spicy territory. Agreed. Um, that's it for Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. If you've got any questions for us, Um, Producer Charlie's now said that you do actually need to at us and not just the Football Ramble. So tweet us at Football Ramble. Tweet me at Floyd Tweet. Tweet Rachel at Girls on the Ball. And tweet Chloe at Morgie underscore 89. That's Morgie I-E, not with a Y. Make sure you get it right if you want to at Chloe. Um, And we'll see you all next week.